Hello and welcome to Learning to Live the Life, the discussion podcast from Christchurch Down End, which is the Church of England Church in Bristol Diocese. I'm the Reverend Aidan Watson and in each episode I meet with maybe one or two other people to discuss an area of discipleship to help us as a church, listeners, to in our own journeys with Jesus. Today's episode is no different. I'm meeting a few days ago. I met with Anita, Anita Dobson again, who is our Discipleship for All Ages minister. And together we kind of discussed and interviewed Reverend Dr. Helen Painter. Helen is the director for the Centre of Study of Bible and Violence. I believe I said that right. That's at Bristol Baptist College. She is a fascinating person, a wonderful uh, mind, but also explains some really tricky concepts uh, into really easy to kind of digest and mull over terms. I mean, I understood it, which shows it kind of must have been okay. Today we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and some tricky questions that often come up when we read passages, passages like Judges or Joshua um, or even um, when we read about the plagues in Genesis. And we're going to have a conversation about that and it, yeah, I've just finished editing it and I think it went really well. Before we get into today's episode, just to let you know what the plans are with the podcast, we're going to be releasing a new episode every month. And it's going to be on the first day of every month. So do keep an eye out. Um, you may be watching this on the YouTube channel. If so, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening on your podcast provider, please do subscribe there. You'll get notified whenever we have new episodes. Uh, we also release our sermons every week on that podcast channel. Anyway, I think that's probably enough for me. Let's get into today's episode. So hello and welcome to Learning to Live the Life, the podcast from Christchurch Downend that kind of helps you in your discipleship. I'm here again with Anita. How are you doing, Anita? I'm all right, thank you. What's What have you been up to in life? Uh, well, I was preaching yesterday, so that's quite an unusual thing for me. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, going out and make, uh, taking photographs with Chris of uh, wild and windy weather. <laughs> amazing amazing um we're here with a very special guest today um and we'll get on to our topic of our podcast but we're here with dr reverend dr helen painter is it is it reverend dr helen painter or would it be dr reverend dr helen painter because you because <laughs> you've got a medical background before your theological background is that right i have but um <laughs> normally i just go by helen <laughs> or just helen we can go with helen we can go with helen helen is uh, a baptist minister and you are the director for the study the center for bible and violence at bristol baptist college that's right yes yeah. um do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll get into what we're looking at today um, yeah, I used to be, or you mentioned already, I used to be a doctor um, about 12, I don't know, I'm losing count now, 12, 13 years ago, I um, left medicine to obey the call to Baptist, train for Baptist ministry, which I did at Bristol Baptist College, then I stayed on after I was ordained um, and started serving a local church, I then stayed on as well, um, doing a doctorate in um, humour in the Book of Kings, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, um, yes, I've continued to be a theological educator as well as a, a minister in pastoral practice just this summer I've actually left pastoral practice for the time being at least um, to work full-time at Bristol Baptist College um, teaching Old Testament biblical languages and as you mentioned director of this um, 
fairly new study centre that I set up a couple of years ago called the Centre for the Study of Bible and Violence. <laughs> well, now, um, Helen taught me Hebrew when I was training, really? and it was only afterwards that you took up a career in violence, and I don't think they're related. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're related necessarily, but yeah, um, what, what do you, what's your aim as a centre, as a, you know, as, as the Centre for Bible and Violence? Well, we're looking at, uh, there are two big questions really, which, which overlap, but are largely separate. One is how we interpret biblical violence, because that's a big issue for, um, for many, many people. And some people are, are losing their faith because of it, actually. Um, so that's one of the big questions. The other question, though, is how the Bible should be read in a violent world, because too often the Bible is used um, in situations of violence to, to attempt to endorse it or justify it. Yeah. Well, that's that leads us into what our topic is for today. The point of this podcast is to help people in their discipleship, help people in their faith. And as Helen says, this is an issue that is a big, big one for people in our church and Christians everywhere, really, where and especially when we hear kind of when we may be talking to non-Christians about our faith, people are very clear that, uh, you know, there's the God of the Old Testament who's violent and angry and the God of the New Testament who's lovey-dovey and surely that doesn't make sense and so today we want to talk about you know we're going to use the title of Helen's book uh, which is I'm holding up to the screen if you're watching on YouTube uh, God of Violence Yesterday and God of Love Today question mark Um, and that's going to be the kind of theme for our kind of question and Helen's going to kind of help us kind of wrestle through this topic a little bit it's just a starter um this it's I really recommend you do read the book um it is phenomenal both Anita and I have read it and we both found it so helpful and really easy to read how do you make violence so easy to read about (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you there are moments when it's hard to write about yeah um, Stephen Lawrence in that book yes um and I spent a morning kind of doing the research um around what had happened and the response to it and um as you know you know when you lock into something and you just kind of focus in and, and suddenly I kind of stuck my head up from it at lunchtime and I, I suddenly realised just how dark everything I'd been reading was and mm. just how it kind of sucked me into this, oh, just this, this grief. So mm. yeah, not always easy to write about. Not easy to write about and certainly not easy to read at times. That's, that's definitely the case. But but as you'll find from our discussion with Helen, you are quite jolly and maybe that, 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 that look, at, if you can find humour in the Book of One Kings for a PhD, I'm sure you can <laughs> help us along this journey. So. To start with, what, I wonder if you could just answer this. What is the Bible? What is the Old Testament? And why is that an important starting point? Oh, wow. What is the Bible? My word. Um, the Bible is a, a collection of uh, writings written by many different people over huge spans of time, which relate the story of the people of God um, and God's dealings with the world. Um the Old Testament, obviously, is, is that story um, up until about 400 years before the appearance of Jesus. Um, and why start with the Old Testament? The thing is that although we rather neglect the Old Testament in our uh, Sunday services, at least um, in many that I experienced, church I was in yesterday, for example, didn't have an Old Testament reading. Um, although we neglect it, actually, we, we do so at our peril because the New Testament is utterly founded on the Old Testament, and we will just misunderstand it if we don't have a, a reasonable grasp on the Old Testament. Almost everything Jesus says, actually, far more than we generally realise, is 
a quote from, is a, is a reference to, is a kind of subversion of, is a retelling of something in the Old Testament. Um, we so often miss that and therefore miss the nuance at, at, at the best and maybe sometimes worse than that. We, we genuinely misunderstand. Yeah. And so when we're approaching the kind of topic of violence in the Old Testament, how is it helpful to to kind of, yeah, really dig into, you know, how we read the Bible, how we understand the Bible in the 21st century um, in comparison to when it was written? So our the way we think today and the way the ancient writers thought is so different. Now, actually, that's not really me saying, oh, we're so much more sophisticated than they were and they were kind mm. of these clumsy, naive people. That's not at all true. But they just viewed the world differently. We've been so conditioned by the Enlightenment. And of course, they were far, you know, very long while before the Enlightenment. And so the questions we tend to ask and the ways we look at cause and effect and so on, they just don't they're not interested in those questions. They're far more interested in, in other and, uh, questions and, and often more helpful questions, I think, when we're talking about theology. Um, so one example um, would be uh, what makes for a good society? Now, this is mm. quite a fundamental question to understanding many of the decisions that Old Testament characters take and, and the view that the Old Testament takes of the, the characters. So if we think what makes for a good society, we probably tend to think about um, individual freedom um, and um, sort of cooperation with one another and, and everyone kind of having the opportunity to reach their full potential. That's not the way they think at all. They, they would mm -hmm. prioritise community hugely over individual um, potential. And really they're interested in order. Order is the kind of greatest good in society. Um, which isn't quite the same as saying hierarchy, like perhaps the kind of the medieval kind of serfdom, the way the kind mm. of medieval church got co-opted into that sort of thing. It's not that, but but order within society where everybody um, cooperates within bounds that that are commonly understood is the greatest good that they mm. imagine, really. Um, and so everything is orientated in that direction. Mm. And Anita, what do you what do you make of all this? What do you think? You know, what's your kind of take on? You've read the book, obviously, and and thinking around this kind of idea. Like, what what do you think? Uh, what do you make of it all? Well, I think um, I think it's really helpful even to just start with these the things that Helen's already said because I think when we say we struggle with violence in the Old Testament, a lot of us what we mean is because we haven't studied the Old Testament in depth or you know to a higher level. We struggle with the whole with the whole thing, you know, with the Old Testament as a thing, um, and therefore, um, you know, the violence is just part of that, and we feel kind of underconfident about how to explain it to ourselves, and it can sometimes affect our own faith when we read stuff, but also it can affect um, how we feel we can approach other people and talk to them about the Bible. You know, if I give somebody a Bible, um, will they find bits of it that that just put them off faith already? You know, before they've even started that kind of thing. So I think it's really helpful when Helen talks about the fact that the cultural and the, the worldview that they had was so different. Mm, no, definitely. I, I definitely agree. And I think this is definitely helpful in my understanding. So I think sometimes 
just asking the most basic questions what is the bible it's a really helpful starting point and um anita's got some more specific questions that we're going to ask in a bit uh that people from the congregation have been uh, kind of really helpfully sent in um but before we do that helen i just wonder if you could talk about some like general principles or maybe a good starting point when we encounter a passage in the old testament that we're like oh i'm not sure i'm quite i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel about this you know what how would we what would be a good starting point do you reckon well, there's quite a lot to say, and I'm not going to be able to say it all, which is... I'm, surpri- I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay, read the book. It's good. <laughs> um, one of the things I think it's really helpful to understand, and, and for some reason we don't do this when we look at the Bible, but we do it when we look at other modern works, is that what people do, and in fact what they say um, in in the scripture, is not is not necessarily endorsed by the scripture. Um, so the, the narrator tells us about people doing appalling things. That doesn't mean the narrator is rubbing his hands, um, going, yes, and you know, and she deserved what she had coming to her or whatever. So things can be narrated without being endorsed. Mm. And the way that characters speak um, tells us more about their person, their character, their moral character, than it does about events. The narrator expects you to believe him. Obviously, whether you do or not is, is your choice, but the narrator expects to be believed. But he can tell us about characters who are lying toe rags, quite frankly, um, and, uh, and, and, and we're not supposed to believe what they say. We're supposed to notice that they're lying um, mm. and draw our conclusions about their characters. So that's, I think, a, a pair of, I hope, useful things to read. So the next question then is, is to think, what is that? Why is this story here? That's the next question. Why is this story here? Um, and sometimes it's there because it functions as, as part of a part of the, the condemnation of, a, of, a, of a, an individual or a nation. Um, sometimes it's there as part of a, a big unfolding story, which we need to get the hang of. So the next principle, I guess, then is, is trying to work out how this little story fits into the, the bigger one. Mm. Um, and we get better at these things as we practice them, but this is also why um, we have people writing on these subjects to help us to join the dots. Cause actually it takes quite a long period of study to, to join those dots. Yeah. Um, um, well, it's so, I mean, it's so easy to, I mean, through history, it's been so easy for people to use and abuse scripture to make it say what they want it to do precisely because they take things out of context. And the context is not just the context of that passage or the book that is written in, but the whole Bible. And I think that was something I really learned at college, actually, was trying to view the whole Bible um, and any story, always thinking, like, where does this fit in the whole of scripture? I think now might be an interesting time. I think we'll, we'll probably get some good tips and some good advice in general as we kind of look through individual questions. So I wonder, Anita, do we, should we go with some of the questions from church? Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Um, so one of the questions that we had was um, when Abraham in, in Genesis um, is talking to God about uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that are going to be... Um, attacked or demolished or whatever and he's pleading for the people there and um, so one of our, our folks asked whether it seems as if um somebody's trying to change god's mind about how much how much violence is going to be unleashed how much vengeance or or justice or whatever you might call it um and there's a very strange passage where he sort of pleads with with god or you know maybe maybe um if there's a few people there who are 
who are good still, you know, will you, will you save them and so on. Um, so I wonder whether you might be able to talk about that. Yeah, I love that passage, actually, um, because it shows something. I think I think to me it shows something about God's willingness to be persuaded. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows something about the effectiveness of prayer. I think one of the questions um, that arises from that is, is whether God does change his mind and what that says to us about the, the, the doctrine of, of God and, and so on. And I think maybe the most helpful way of, of, of thinking about this is to understand that actually every time we speak about God, we are speaking with symbol and metaphor. And sometimes we forget that. We think that language is reality and language only ever points to reality and so every time we speak about god we are trying we're struggling in human words to speak about about a god who is indescribable you know so we talk about god being king and we probably may not even think about the fact that that's a metaphor um because he isn't a king he's he, he's god <laughs> um and so <clears throat> we see these personifications we see or oh, not personifications but we see these these ways that god is um described in in very human sounding ways. And these are just the ancient writers scrabbling as every writer and speaker ever does, which is only ever does, which is scrabble towards trying to express something about God. We can't extract that alone and draw a conclusion about what God's like, but it adds to the big picture. And I think what it adds to here is, yeah, God's God's persuadability and the fact that he cooperates with humans, which is extraordinary, extraordinary that he doesn't just kind of drive through his purpose, but that he involves people like you and me in, mm. in that planning somehow. And you talk about, um, you talk about in the book about the passage with Jacob wrestling with God. And I know there are many Christians and many people in our church who find it uncomfortable because they feel they need to wrestle with God. Maybe there's something's going on in their own lives. Maybe it's what they're reading in the old testament like yeah how how is that concept of wrestling really helpful oh i think wrestling is just the most extraordinary thing that we are invited to do we are invited encouraged to do it um sometimes i think in church we we overemphasize the kind of submission element which of course is is, is also right and good because because he's God and we're not. <laughs> um, but actually, again and again, scripture invites us to, to to kind of wrestle back with him. And you know that that story where where Jacob wrestles with God is the moment when he gets his his new name, which is Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God. Um, and that that becomes the name that the people of God adopt um not jacob which you might imagine they might have called themselves or abraham which you might imagine they might call themselves but they actually take the name israel and and that wrestling with god i think characterizes their their conduct we see the wrestling in in the psalms we see so much wrestling in the psalms we see wrestling in the prophets you know the the prophets kind of shouting back at god and saying hey come on you know pay attention or you know even jeremiah who, who accuses god of of, of, of um, tricking him you know um so we see really bold language um i found and... that really helpful in your book actually sorry if you no, mind interrupting um because uh, i think you were saying how um you know how imperfect our language is to talk about god um but also that idea um that it's important for people to be able to express their real self to god and that if that's anger 
and if that's disgust at what's been going on and if that's you know sorrow and so on we need to be able to express that and you were saying how um you know we want a god of justice don't we um, and therefore it's important that you know we don't cut those passages out of our church services and so on where people are kind of calling out to god saying come on you know god i need to see your justice because this is so unfair and if you think about somebody who's been a victim of a terrible crime you know which i guess is why you looked into the stephen lawrence case and so on um you know we want a god who who brings justice and we want people to be able to express that anger to god and not to hide it so i think that's a really helpful way of thinking about some of the violence in the old testament and um, you know is this about justice and people um you know being protected by a god who who doesn't want them to be swept away by evil yeah the next question is probably i think maybe one of the toughest things that people struggle with um and it was how could a loving god command the ethnic cleansing of the land of canaan in the book of joshua so i guess all the yeah. stuff surrounding that yeah um so we talk about wrestling. This is the one that I continually still wrestle with. Um, and I, I think there are some questions that if anybody tries to tell you they've got it wrapped up and it's all fine, actually, they are either deceived themselves or they're trying to dupe you. And so I'm not going to, and I don't in the book, pretend that I have um, sort of watertight answers to this at all. I think there are some things we can say. Um, and I'll say one or two of them here, but I probably won't have time even to say what, you know, everything. If you kind of ask your average Christian in the pew what they, um, what they think the book of Joshua is describing, um, if, they, if they're familiar with the book, they will probably say, well, Joshua just scorched his way into the land and, and slaughtered everybody in his path. Now, certainly there is a, an, an element of that in Joshua. We do see some very aggressive language in Joshua. But alongside that, and for some reason um, we overlook this, we, we almost hear a second voice. And it's almost like these two voices are in dialogue. Um, and we see it again and again, but there's one particular verse which, where it's so obvious, which is where um, it says Joshua went to these particular cities and he, um, and he left alive nothing that breathed. Okay, he, he slaughtered everybody. And the second half of the same verse it says, and, and when the survivors had fled, now you, you, you have to hold those two in tension. You, you, you know, if, if, if the first, you hold the first part of the verse um, as, as supreme, then the second half of the verse doesn't make sense and, and vice versa. So it's almost like we've got these two voices um, kind of fighting it out. And we need to notice that. We need to notice that in Joshua, we continually have this, um, what I kind of call a kind of countercurrent, which is um, um, saying, well, right at the beginning, actually, when Joshua meets a man with a drawn sword just before the Battle of Jericho, and um, he doesn't realise at that point that he's met the commander of the armies of the Lord, which basically means the, the angel in charge of heaven's armies. And he asks this bloke, who he just thinks is a bloke with a, a drawn sword, and he says, are you on our side or our enemies? Um, and we, our jaws should absolutely drop at the response because up till this point in, in the story, Joshua has never had reason to doubt that God is 100% on Israel's side. You know, he, he was a slave in Egypt. He saw the plagues. He, he's brought out by the, the Passover. He's brought through the, the Red Sea. He's um, fed in the desert by manna and quails. Their shoes don't you know, wear out their, um, you know, the water from the rock, you know, what, what doubts could there be? 
that God is absolutely 100% on their side. And yet he asks this question because he doesn't know who he's speaking to. And the answer is neither. And that is a staggering moment. Um, and I think that that should um, kind of condition the way we read the rest of that book. So that's one of the important things to say is there are some really massive counter currents in that story. Let me say one more thing, um, which is um, which is what it is it, to do with the the translation of a Hebrew word, um, which sometimes our Bibles lead us to believe means kind of totally slaughter. That the word is harem, um, and it often translates um, devote destruction, or um, it's, it's depending on what, what Bible translation you use. But you'll meet it a lot of times in Joshua. The thing about this word harem is it, it isn't the same as massacre. It doesn't mean that. Um, you can harem an object, for example. So it clearly isn't the same as just, just kill. But if you conduct this, this thing called harem upon an object, sometimes you will destroy it, but sometimes you will keep it, preserve it, and bring it into the temple or into the, into the sanctuary. So it isn't the same as just sort of smashing things to pieces or slaughtering. Um, and a, an object that is designated for this, um, for this action is sometimes described as abominable, but sometimes described as most holy. So we've got this very complex idea, which is not always destruction, but sometimes bringing something into the temple, not always um, abominable, but sometimes most holy. And, and what all of those things have in common, the root idea here is the idea of setting something apart from normal use, of devoting it for the purpose of God alone. And that's the root idea of what Joshua is doing as he goes into the land. Now, I wish I could tell you that that never it meant he never killed anyone. And clearly that's not the case. Clearly there were deaths. But the prime idea of what they're doing is not they're not going in to kill, they're going in to conduct harem. And when you conduct harem against a people group, what you are really trying to do is to obliterate the people group rather than the people. Now, that might sound a bit, a bit tricky or maybe even um, a bit, a bit, a bit uh, tricksy, but, but there is a big difference um, because if you are trying to obliterate a people, then you have to kill everybody, men, women, and children. If you are trying to obliterate a people group, then what you are saying is a bit like the Bible text does say explicitly sometimes that there should be no more memory of that people group, that that people group should not exist, but the people, at least some of them can continue to exist. So if you think about Rahab, who was a Jerichoite, she is subject to the harem order, but she is brought into the heart of the nation. She hasn't, she's escaped death, but she hasn't escaped harem. The point is she stops being a Jerichoite. She becomes an Israelite. So, I mean, this, it's a complex thing and I feel like I've only just scratched the surface of it, but there is more going on in this, in these texts than meets the eye. Um, and I think, I think there's two clues towards it, um, although there's, there's more to say. That's brilliant. Thank you, Helen, for that. Um, 
I think this is a good point because we're going to keep saying there isn't enough time in a 40 minute <laughs> podcast to kind of do this justice. Of course there's not. Um, so I thought um, I, it, as part of inviting Helen on, I said, you could plug anything you want to plug um, and we'll <laughs> plug it for you. And l- like I said, so God of violence yesterday, God of love today, question mark, uh, wrestling honestly with the old Testament. I'll put a link to that in the various descriptions, be it on the podcast or on YouTube. Um, but definitely, definitely, if you want to explore this, do get that that book and have a read. It is not, it is not a highbrow, difficult, you know, theological book. It's an honest uh, discussion, really, um, and I absolutely loved reading it. It's it's, it's already fairly, uh, you know, fairly worn the pages um, as I've read it about one and a half times in the in the few weeks I've had it. Um, You've, you've just written another book, haven't you, Helen? Yeah, book came out last week at the t- as we record, um, which is about the use of the Bible in domestic violence, domestic abuse. Um, so domestic abuse is tragically as common in our churches as it is in wider society. Um, and that means a an average to large size church will have, statistically, will have um, at least one Um, situation of domestic abuse um, in in currently or in recent history Um, and so this this book is called um, the bible doesn't tell me so why you don't have to submit to domestic abuse and coercive control because in christian homes sometimes the bible is drawn into that and it's weaponized um, within the home and so particularly i spent time talking with um, domestic abuse survivors um, and particularly um, we are seeing husbands taking texts out of context, um, telling their wives they have to submit and, and you have to submit to anything that they that they are told to submit to. Sometimes churches um, who I'm sure unwittingly make the problem worse by talking about forgiveness as if it means everything's all right again. Um, who, yeah, there's a whole complex of ways in which scripture is sometimes used um, to trap people in situations of domestic abuse and to think that they have to put up with it. And so this is addressed to people who are experiencing that or those who want to help them. And I think you wrote, you said you wrote this before lockdown, but obviously since we've been locked down, we know domestic abuse is on the increase and there's a really timeliness Mm -hmm. to this. In in, as much as it's always an important conversation, this is really, really timely. So I thoroughly recommend and I'll check that out. I think as a church leader, I think it's pertinent for me to do so. Um, and also you've got your own podcast, which yeah. will kind of get, which is probably more than one 40 minute look into these <laughs> questions, isn't it? It is. It, this, this podcast is on the Bible in a violent world sort of side of things rather than the other one. Um, but for those who are interested in the ways that faith and politics overlap, um, I've got a podcast which we launched quite recently called Guns and God, um, Guns where and God. my friend my, my friend Matthew uh, Feldman, who's um, director for the Centre of the Analysis of the Radical Right, um, he's operating in a personal capacity here. And we're not just looking at the radical right. We're looking at a whole range of situations like anti-Semitism. And, um, we are looking at the radical right, nationalism, um, Islamism, all, a whole load of things. But areas where faith and politics overlap with particular interest in extremism and, and violence. And so he and I get in conversation and we invite guests in and talk about some interesting ideas. And yeah, it's um, it's not academic, although it's academically informed. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. for the for the interested generalist. Um, honestly, I, I think 
doing a podcast series is the most fascinating thing in the world because it gives you the sort of entitlement to write to complete strangers and say, can I talk with you for an hour about something interesting? And people say yes, you know. Sounds very Louis, Thoreau, Louis Theroux, yeah. <laughs> well, you and Helen are also kind of complete strangers. Would you say that's uh, your experience so far as well? <laughs> Do you want to finish us with another question? Um, so the question was, uh, why did God appoint the slaughter of all the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18? Is that how you wanted to phrase it, Aidan? Yeah, I wanted to ask that because I preached on it last week. It's, a very, it's an interesting passage. Um, so it's, there's it's not, one of the, it's not one of the part of, parts of humour that you did your dissertation well, on. But... Well, it was, in my, it was within the text I was looking at. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's quite funny, some of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, quite often. Very sarcastic, isn't it? Things, the, the, the humour is violent. Um, it's kind of black humour. Um, do you know, of all the biblical violence, I have much less concern about this one than I do about others. Uh, the, the Bible is, the Old Testament is very, very clear um, that a false prophet should be put to death. And, and that's because of the power um, that a prophet has um, to deceive and to mislead and to cause enormous harm. Um, so, um, you know, I, th I think in, in today's society, I, I cannot see any justification for capital punishment, but it was an ancient world when, when with completely different way of being, and in particular, with no prisons. Um, and so operating within that framework where capital punishment um, is, is regarded as acceptable, um, I think, the ex to be honest, the execution of a false prophet who... who, uh, who, who shamefacedly is that word people boldly you know and brazenly that's the word i'm looking for um manipulates the people into into following a false god is probably the right thing to do quite honestly i i don't find that a struggle um as i say i don't think we should be doing it today you know we, mm. we can't just drag and drop these texts into today but but something of that passion for truth and for faithfulness and for um not being deceived um maybe actually there's a challenge to us especially us as church leaders um or you know while while wanting to engage with people who who absolutely who have different opinions and, and listen respectfully and, and so on but actually to keep that internal passion for following as best we can after truth um and for protecting to some extent our congregations from from, from things that might harm helping our congregations to like you're doing right now actually I hope Aiden, I hope this is functioning in this way but you know helping our congregations to, to to grapple in a faithful way towards truth because we believe that there is a truth that is worth that is worth struggling towards and and actually we see that in the New Testament as well we see some of the really strong language that the apostles use in the letters about those who come and and mislead mm. um, so I think yeah, we, we, we must be cautious about just picking texts up and saying, well, that shows us how we should be today. We need to kind of see the trajectory of how it unfolds. But something at the core of that about, about devotion to God mattering um, is, is to be, it should be held up and, and, and noticed, I think. Yeah, no, I know. I think that's, that's really helpful. And, 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 yeah, I think you nailed it when we're talking about the whole, you know, if we read it as a as a daily news item in, you know, on the BBC website, then yeah, we'd have issue, more issues with this than if we read it as a three and a half thousand or less 
year old text. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah we have a question about uh, animals. Uh, why does God encourage apparently so much violence towards animals uh, and you know, about animal sacrifices and so on? Hmm. There were three different, um, I look at this, I gave a chapter to this in my book, and there were three different things that I looked at there. I looked at the flood. Um, I looked at um, some uh, a text which speaks about hamstringing horses. And I looked at animal sacrifice. Um, I think I'm just going to talk about sacrifice here for, for the sake of time, if that's okay. Um, one, I suppose the first thing I would say is that unless we are a vegan, then we all sacrifice animals to things that we consider important um and often the things that we consider important are you know having leather shoes or, or filling our stomachs but actually we do sacrifice animals um we still do it today so we need to be a little bit cautious before we are too critical of an ancient society which also sacrificed animals to what it considered important and what it considered important well, I, I, I think there's a challenge there, actually, of, of, of what do they consider important enough to sacrifice an animal to compared to what I think is important enough to sacrifice an animal to. Um, because I think, I think they had a higher, a higher goal there. One of the things we need to understand about the ancient world is that, is that wealth had legs most of the time. Um, that, you know, if you didn't have a bank account um, and you probably didn't have a big stack of money under your bed either. Um, a lot of the time your wealth was, was held in your flocks and your herds. Um, and so if you want to give God um, something, um, it will often rather than, you know, you and I would do a direct debit or, or, or you know, do a, a contactless payment or something. They, they give an animal. Um, but another thing to notice is that a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, um, the animals that were sacrificed were eaten. They weren't just wasted in inverted commas. They were they were eaten. And, and actually, I think that something like um you know the big roast that many of us do at christmas is is not a bad analogy for quite a lot of old testament sacrifice um where the community would gather and an animal would be would be killed and then much of it would be eaten in community um the way we sacrifice our turkeys at christmas so there's a whole again there's, there's a lot more to say because there are different types of sacrifice but i think there's a real challenge about what I consider worth um, sacrificing to. Mm, I really like the way in the book you talked about the fact that um, most of us are happy for, or not happy, but understand it's necessary for medicines to be tested on animals before a test on humans. And even, you know, most of us kind of allow the fact that, um, you know, makeup and cosmetics and various things have also been tested on animals. And I think you said that there was a wonderful quote, you said something about, you know, people in the Old Testament sacrificing for their God, um, whereas we're often uh, happy for animals to be sacrificed for our vanity. I thought, ooh, boom, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a really good way of summing up how we can be very judgmental when we look at the Old Testament and feel that we, you know, we're so much better than them. But actually, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, their society functioned in a much more um, humane and thoughtful way than, than we do. Brilliant. Well, that's probably all we've got time for. Um, thank you so much, Helen, for joining us. In a moment, can I ask you to pray for us and pray for our listeners, who maybe, especially people who are maybe struggling with this topic uh, right now? Um, 
but yeah thank you so much for listening thank you so much for engaging hopefully uh, this is just a starting point for some uh, and there'll be other we've we've listed the ways in which you can engage with helen's work uh, but obviously there's loads of other writing out there as well um but it's not as good and <laughs> um but also do get in touch with anita or myself or joe or paul if this is something you're wrestling through we don't want to do this on our own we don't want to be uh getting on digging ourselves into a well you know these things are much easier to wrestle with together in a group and you know kind of meditate on these tough things together and, and you uh, can borrow the copy of the book that i've got yes the copy, yeah. to the church so, so you can, so you can see if, my little notes in here it's <laughs> really good so if anybody wants to borrow this let me know brilliant <laughs> helen yeah do you want to do you mind praying mm. for us yes yeah, certainly Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us without, um, without a testimony, that you haven't left us to rely on, um, on Chinese whispers. Um, but we admit that sometimes your word is difficult, mysterious, confusing. Sometimes it upsets us. Um, we are supremely grateful that you sent your son to show us what you are like. Um, and we pray that as we grapple with these questions that you will help us always to remember your son to remember your self-sacrifice on the cross but that you will help us to wrestle faithfully to understand how the old testament as well as the new speaks of your goodness your love help us to become better readers of scripture warm our hearts as we read Meet us as we wrestle. And may our faith grow stronger in that wrestling. So bless us, we pray, and continue to speak to us through your Holy Spirit, please. Amen. Amen. So there we have it. I hope you really benefited from today's episode and discussion around Old Testament violence. And I hope that's helped you in your own journey. Just a reminder, yeah, we're going to be releasing new episodes on the first of every month, new episodes of this podcast. Hopefully we'll put in some bonus episodes as well, but at the bare minimum, we'll be having one episode every month. So do keep an eye out. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. Subscribe on your podcast platforms. Uh, Maybe even give a comment or a rating if that's available on your podcast platforms. It just means that more people might come into contact with us. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, please do subscribe, maybe hit a like. Uh, that also means that more people might, might come into contact with this video and be blessed by it, hopefully. Um, we, on our YouTube channel, we release uh, videos every Tuesday and Thursday with kind of thoughts, uh, Bible study thoughts. Uh, we call them Bread for Today. Also, our Sunday services are streamed live on our YouTube channel at 10.30am 10:30 10:30 every single Sunday. But for now, take care. God bless. Bye-bye.